Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13, we're going to finish out this chapter this morning. 1 Samuel, wow, somebody's excited about church this morning. Yeah. 1 Samuel 13, as you're finding your place in God's Word, uh, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream. Also, want to welcome uh, Reach Church DeSoto and uh, the venue service down the hall. A little later in our service, as we close out, we'll have an opportunity to ordain uh, three men uh, to the office of deacon here in the church. And, and uh, excited for Reach Church on February the 5th out at Reach Church, they'll be ordaining men to the office of deacon. So we're excited for you, Reach Church, and know it'll be a special day in the life of that congregation. Well, 1 Samuel 13, we come to this passage, we're kind of picking up in the middle. Last week, we, we looked at Saul's test, uh, that Saul goes all in with God. The nation is brought to a crossroads at Gilgal, and God has challenged them uh, with their king. Um, Submit yourself to me. Follow me. I'll be with you. But if you will not follow me, both you and your king will be swept away. That's the warning. And God always follows through on his promises, and he follows through as well on his threats. If he didn't follow through on his threats, we wouldn't know if he'd follow through on his promises. So God gave them a warning. Saul is there. He's been warned too. And they're going in with God, and they're moving forward, and God brings them into a test. We're going to find out if you really believe what you say. We're going to find out in the midst of this test and what we're going to see this morning is Saul is going to fail that test. And uh, we learn, don't we learn oftentimes a whole lot more from our failures than we do our successes? And uh, unfortunately for Saul, we're going to see in many ways he won't learn. But guess what? We can learn from his mistakes. And in many ways today, we're going to see what we should do when we find ourselves in a place of disobedience. What should we do? Saul shows us what we should not do. We're going to look this morning, what should we do? What should be our response? With that in mind, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. She's sharper than any two-edged sword. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And God, I uh, pray this morning you would bless your word. Not my word. God, prevent me from saying anything that would be contrary to your truth. All of us here this morning, we're in desperate need of you. We need to hear your voice. We recognize this as a sacred time in the body of Christ when we gather around corporately around your word, the truth, and we, we align our lives Maybe some of us today, we need to recalibrate according to your truth. I pray that you would convict us. God, I pray that you would comfort those who need comfort. You would challenge those who need to be challenged, convict those who need to be convicted. But God, most importantly, I pray all of us would be drawn to you. And when we leave here a little later, we'd leave changed. Because we met with you in your word. Holy Spirit, do business in our hearts as we study the truth of God's word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
we pick up the story, you remember Saul has been told uh, very clearly that when you go to war with the Philistines, you'll go down to Gilgal, and he does that. He goes down to Gilgal, and then he's told you're going to wait seven days, and the appointed time Samuel will come, and he'll offer sacrifice, and I'll be with you. So Saul has been given some very clear instruction He goes down to Gilgal, and there he is with his 2,000 men, an army of 3,000, 2,000 with him, 1,000 with Jonathan. And as he's there, the Philistine army gathers against him, the 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen and men as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And in light of this imposing force that's coming upon them, the men around him begin to flee. They're going to run, hide themselves in caves. As we'll find out a little later, it appears that some of them have switched over to the side of the Philistines. They've actually joined the other team. Uh, And so it doesn't look good. The circumstances are against him. And he's put in the midst of this test. Will he trust what God has clearly spoken? Or will he be motivated and moved by what he sees with his eyes? So we pick up the story in verse 8. Look with me there. It says, Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. What we see here is Saul is going to disobey God's clearly given command. He disobeys what God has told him to do. And even more than that, he's he's gone into an area that God didn't give to him. God has appointed Samuel as his priest who will offer the sacrifice. The kingly role didn't get intermixed with the priestly role. There was God's priest and there was God king. And you didn't mix those two roles. We only see those two roles combined in one person, Jesus Christ, priest and king. But God has told the king, that is not your role. That is reserved for the priest. And what we're going to see as we move forward in Saul's life is uh, the sin of pride. At the root of every sin is pride. And it appears that Saul, in this position of authority, in his kingly position, he feels like, uh, uh, I have the opportunity. Maybe I have the right to, to fulfill this role that God has reserved only for his designated priest. But I think the greater mistake that Saul makes, uh, because we look at this and Uh, I think, as I told you last week, the more I read this, I'm inclined to some extent to be sympathetic with Saul. I mean, you look at his circumstances, anybody that looks at this and says, boy, that would have been easy, that knucklehead, he should have just trusted God. He waited just a little bit longer to come through for him. Uh, But put yourself in his shoes. You're sitting there, and you know if something doesn't happen, if something doesn't happen very, very quickly, and Samuel's nowhere to be found, we're going to get wiped out. And here's the mistake that I think Saul makes. I think that Saul thinks that God wants the victory of Israel more than he wants Saul's obedience. He makes the mistake of thinking that God wants Israel's victory more than he wants Saul's obedience. And listen to me, when we set it as our goal in life, when our goal in life becomes anything other than total obedience to Christ, we set ourselves up for opportunities to compromise and disobey God's word. We must make, it's okay to have goals, it's okay to set some goals in your life, but make sure that all of your goals are subservient to the ultimate goal of being faithful to Jesus Christ. Uh, we, We ought to see that obedience in our lives, regardless of the circumstances, is the most important thing. 
As I was studying that, I was reminded of Jesus. You remember when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness after he had fasted for 40 days? And believe me, he was hungry. He was fully man, fully God. He hungered. And Satan came to him and said, you have to just turn those stones into bread. Could Jesus have done that? Yes, he could have. Very easily he could have. But he won't. And you remember what he says back to Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Do you know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, I need obedience to my Father more than I need to live. I need obedience to my Father more than I need to live. Uh, I was reminded when, uh, when I was in college, we had a professor and there was this guy and he, uh, our professor was encouraging us to go on to seminary. We were all in a Bible class and he was encouraging us to go on to seminary and there was one young man who said, but you know, there's, there's a great need in the church today. We gotta get out there and I, I just don't know that I've got time and I remember this professor looking at that young man and saying, listen, you need to understand something. God doesn't need you. He needs you to be faithful. God doesn't need you. He just needs you to be faithful. Listen to me. Let's make the primary goal of all of our lives obedience and faithfulness to God. And then we let God be God with the, with the consequences, right? I mean, that's the good news. When you make obedience to God your primary goal, you don't have to worry about how it plays out. Let's let God be God. He's bigger than us. He sees a bigger picture. Let's just be faithful to him. And so Saul is going to make that mistake of thinking that God wants victory more than he wants his obedience. And he goes ahead and he, he offers this sacrifice. We pick up this story. In verse 10, it says, as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet and greet him. Isn't it crazy? As soon as he finished. Wouldn't you know it? That's the way it would work. That in that moment, God's time is, it's not like Samuel is off hiding in the woods somewhere just watching and waiting for him to offer the sacrifice and then, ha ha, I caught you. No, this is just God's timing. And Samuel's going to show up and he's going to confront Saul in his sin. Now, the, the question that I have as I read this is, as Saul offers, he kind of finishes up offering the sacrifice, and his eyes come up and he sees, I just, I like to picture these things in my mind. He just kind of sees Samuel waltzing over the hill. What is the emotion that's going through Saul's heart? Now, there's a lot of conjecture. I want to be very careful here because I'm just giving you what I believe. I think in that moment, he experienced immediate conviction. He sees Samuel because Samuel represents what? Samuel represents the word of God. This is the guy who represents the word of God, the truth of God. He proclaims God's truth. And as he sees Samuel, he's reminded of what he should have done. And he experiences immediate conviction because we're going to see him go into a whole list of excuses. He's going to start backpedaling in a hurry. But as he sees Samuel, it says that he, he runs out to meet and greet him. Uh, that word greet uh, implies that he ran out in some way to bless Samuel. Now, in Scripture, we see that it's always the greater that blesses the lesser. 
And so what do we see here? We're going to see this running through the story that Saul is again uh, indicating to us a heart of pride. That in this uh, position of authority, he's gotten a little too big for his britches. Do we ever see this happen? That, that men can start out with a lot of humility, but when they find themselves in a position of authority, it kind of goes to their head and they begin to see everybody else as being subservient to them? Well, now he sees the, 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 the church, if you want to put it that way, he sees this man of God as subservient to his causes. He goes out to bless him. Look at what Samuel says, because the question is, will Samuel back down in the presence of this great, mighty, imposing king? Is he going to back down? No, he will not. Look at what it says in verse 11. But Samuel said, what have you done? Uh, <laughs> that brought back bad memories of being a child. You know, <laughs> I thought about that this week. Some occasions where my uh, mom would say, what in the world did you do? Uh, it was never good. We hear those words, and it's, it's, the, it's actually the exact same phraseology that God used with Eve in the garden. What did you do? What have you done? It's the exact same phraseology that God will use with Cain after he murders Abel. What have you done? It's a word of rebuke. I love this about Samuel. As opposed to Saul, whose obedience is dictated by the circumstances, Samuel demonstrates to us a man of God who could care less what the circumstance is or in front of whom he stands, but he will always be faithful to the truth of God's word. And he will let the chips fall where they may. I thought about this this week. Could have Saul immediately killed Samuel? Oh yeah, he could have. It's a pretty risky thing what Samuel's doing and putting himself out there. But he will not be persuaded by the power of the authority of King Saul. He will be a man of God. He'll be faithful to the truth. What have you done? And we see the conviction that lays heavy on Saul's heart by his response. It says, and Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me. And that you did not come within the appointed days. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Do you see here what he's playing the blame, blame game? This is the natural inclination of our flesh. When confronted with sin. When confronted with sin. The natural inclination of our flesh will be to deflect the blame to somebody else. We will always seek to excuse ourselves for the sin that we've committed. He, it's amazing to me, he blames the army. He says, these guys are a bunch of weak-kneed guys. They're, they're scattering. You, you, it's their fault. And, and then he says, you didn't show up. He's blaming who? <laughs> Samuel. If you'd have been here on time, say, I never would have been put in that situation. And then he's going to blame the Philistines, the opposing armies. These guys are coming up on us with all these people. He's blaming everybody else except himself. And more often than not, we're found in sinful situations and immediately we begin to make excuses. Um, we see this in Scripture. Uh, you remember in that same story with Adam and Eve, God confronts Adam. And uh, do you remember what Adam says? The first words out of his mouth, the woman you gave me. 
God, she wasn't even a prayer request. You gave her to me. I didn't ask for her. It's interesting, right prior to that, he's saying, bone of my bone, flesh of my soul. I love this woman. And the next thing you know, it's her fault. He throws her under the bus real quick. And does God give, because listen, is Adam not right? God is the one who gave Eve to him. And Eve initiated. Does God give Adam an out? Does God say, well, you're right, Adam. We're gonna give you a pass on this one. No, God holds Adam accountable for the choice he made. It's a good reminder that if we're gonna move on and progress in our spiritual maturity, we must learn to own up to the choices and the mistakes and the sins that we make in our life. God is an incredibly gracious God and he does not expect you to be perfect. He didn't expect Saul to be perfect, but he did expect Saul to be honest. And I think to some extent the reason that God will set him down is the more I've studied this is not necessarily the sin that he committed but is that he wouldn't own up, repent, or humble himself before God against whom he'd sinned. And so he deflect the blame, and, and then look what he says. Um, he says, therefore I said, now the, the Philistines will come down, in verse 12, against me at Gilgal, and I've not asked the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself. <laughs> I had to, didn't really wanna do it, but I did. I had no other choice, I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Listen to me, we find ourselves in situations where we choose to either obey or disobey. And when it comes to those moments, you always have a choice. You cannot say, the devil made me do it. And even worse, you cannot say, God made you do it. You know, one of the things that we see in this text is we see both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, don't we? We see them right side by side in the same story. Is God sovereign over this? Absolutely. God is sovereign over every aspect of it. Does Saul have a choice? Yes, he does. Does God hold Saul accountable for the choice he makes? Yes, he does. And we have difficulty putting those two things together in our mind, but there's no problem to God. Saul is responsible for the choice that he makes. He can't blame God. He can't blame Satan. He can't blame Samuel. It was his choice. Remember this. Whenever you find yourself in a situation where you're choosing between obedience and disobedience, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will always provide a way of escape so that you can stand up underneath it. Listen to me. You do have a choice. Choose to obey or disobey. Saul chooses to disobey and Look at what Samuel says to him. Samuel said to Saul in verse 13, you have acted foolishly. You have acted foolishly. Why has he acted foolishly? He's acted foolishly because he has disregarded God's word. The, the scripture tells us the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. It doesn't mean uh, that all atheists are dumb. There are some incredibly intelligent atheists that are out there. But what it's saying is that the heart of foolishness is a person who disregards God's word. At the heart of foolishness is a disregard 
for God's word. That the word of God in obedience to it is what brings wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's a love for God's word. It reminded me of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony, this is one of my favorite verses. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That brings me great hope because I'm a simpleton and I'm not that smart. But the beauty of following God is you don't even have to have a high school diploma. But if you will obey God's word, you will be incredibly wise. And on the flip side of this, you can have more degrees than a thermometer. But if you will not obey God's word, if you disregard God's word, you'll saw off the limb that you're standing on and you'll be a fool. You've acted foolishly. Why? Because you've disregarded the command of God. You have not kept, verse 13, you've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now listen, you take, and Samuel is declaring the word of God. You take Samuel, Face value, what is he saying? He's saying, I mean, what is said right here is essentially, you would have, that the, the Messiah would have sat on the throne of Saul had you obeyed. Now, now we, we got a dilemma here is because if we play that out far, we're gonna say, well, is, is David God's plan B? No. God is sovereign over all these circumstances. God knew which decision Saul would make. And if we dig down, I think sometimes we get so caught up on these things, we make them way more complicated than they need to be. Do you know the thing? I think the, the main thing that God wants to see in this, when he tells uh, Saul, God would have made you, you'd have had a dynasty. What he's telling Saul is that your sin has consequences. That, that is, I think, if there's an overarching lesson that God means to communicate to Saul and communicate to us through Samuel, is that our sin always has consequences. You know, it's uh, uh, John Wesley, in this passage, uh, he wrote out to the side, uh, is there such a thing as a little sin? And then he wrote, only if there's a little God. Listen, we, we sometimes like to categorize sins and, and make no mistake about it. Saul is in a position of leadership and therefore God holds him to a different standard as he does all leaders. And we also recognize that different sins have different consequences. But make no mistake about it today, every sin, the smallest to the greatest, necessitated the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And from that perspective, there's no little sins. Samuel has disobeyed God. And it's gonna play, that, play itself out in, in some very dramatic consequences, some things that he's gonna miss out on in his life. 
because he wouldn't obey. And it's an important reminder that all of us need to hear that when we, when we disobey God, listen, does God forgive? Oh my goodness, God is so forgiving. He is so gracious. But listen, your sin has consequences. And to some extent, it diminishes. It diminishes all that God truly wants to do in your life. Because God can't bless disobedience. I, mean, I, I say this about my boys. I love my boys. I love them. I, 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 as parents, we desire to give our children great things. We want to give it. We want to be so generous. We want to give to them. But when they're disobedient, to some extent, don't they tie our hands in the full demonstration? We'll never stop loving them. It doesn't mean that we love them less. But to some extent, it, it, it ties our hands in, in the fullness of our love being demonstrated to them because of their disobedience. And the same thing is reflected in our relationship with God. God will never stop loving you. Listen to me. There's nothing you could do. There, there's nothing, no sin that you commit walk out of this room, this room that would make God love you less than he does right now. And there's no great act of righteousness that you could perform that would make God love you any more than he does right now. But I will tell you this, your sin does play itself out in consequences in our life and diminishes to some extent God's ability to accomplish all that he desires to accomplish in us. I mean, we're, we're getting ready to ordain deacons this morning and even us as pastors when we ordain pastors. Listen, if there's one thing we understand is that you can disqualify yourself from that role. Does it mean that God, if a pastor disqualifies him, God loves him less? No. Does it mean he's not saved? No, he's still saved. Loved by God. But we know this. We can disqualify ourselves from what God would love to do through us, through our disobedience and the choices we make. Sin has consequences, dramatic consequences for Saul. Look on, it says in verse 15, then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and saw numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. This to me is the saddest part of the story because what you see here, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but what you'd love to see, if you've never read this story before and you see that Saul is confronted by Samuel, you know what you'd like to see? You'd like to see what happened with Peter. You remember Peter denied Christ? And it says that at one point, Peter and Jesus, he denies him, and Peter and Jesus lock eyes. Do you know what I think that moment was like? It was Saul seeing Samuel come over the hill. And he sees Jesus, and he realizes the depth of his sinfulness, and guess what it says? He went off and wept bitterly. He's brokenhearted because he knows, I have diminished my relationship with Jesus. I betrayed him. And he's brokenhearted, and we'll see Peter go on and in repentance turn back to Christ and be restored. But what we see here with Saul is that he's confronted with his sin, and Samuel goes on, and guess what Saul does? He just numbers the guys. Next week, you're gonna see him sitting under a pomegranate tree. There he is. No repentance, no grief over his sin. No turning back to Lord. No great prayers. Do you know what he will do? He'll become very religious. He'll get real nitpicky about the ark and creating some kind of priest that's a false priest and 
all these other things. He'll, he'll turn to the externalities of ritual. But there's no heart of repentance and grief over the sin that he's committed. So we see Saul just kind of keep moving on in defiance. It's the danger. Whenever you sin, listen, we're going to sin. We're going to have moments where we disobey. We won't be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. And Jesus is really good at dealing with the messes of our lives. The problem is not our sin, it's how we respond to it. If you continue, the person that concerns me is the person who experiences sin and conviction and they don't deal with it and they harden their heart and they continue to move forward. That's a precarious situation. So Saul moves forward, no real change. Look at verse 16. Now Saul and his son, uh, Jonathan, and the people who were present with them were staying in Geba the Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. And the raiders came from the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned towards Ophrah, the land of Shual. Another company turned towards Beth Horon. Another company turned towards the border, which overlooks the valley of Zeboim, towards the wilderness. Now, no blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to sharpen his plowshare, his mattocks, his axe, and his hoe. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, the axes, and to fix the hose. And it came about on the day of the battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. And we see the story move on, and the situation is going to grow even more hopeless, and it appears to be even more helpless. And the question that we're left in our mind, is there anybody out there that trusts God? Is there a man out there that will step up and trust God and turn to God and be obedient to God? Uh, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. The question is, is there anybody out there that really loves God and is willing to step out in faith? Is there? Got to come back next week, all right? You got to get that done. Can't give you next week's. Listen to me this morning just really quickly as we close. I uh, had a chance to speak with the block leadership yesterday morning. And uh, the block is a ministry to young adults. Um, they meet on Thursday nights. Pastor Nick leads them. And their leadership was having a bit of retreat before the new semester begins. And I posed a question to them as I spoke to them about evangelism and committing ourselves to Christ's mission. I just want to pose it to you today. Do you love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? And then the question becomes, how do we know if we really love Jesus? You know what Jesus tells us over and over again, John 14, 21? He says it multiple times. He who loves me will keep my commandments. Do you really love Jesus? You know, I think we see with Saul, I don't really love the Lord. No real heart for the Lord. He only loves what he thinks the Lord can give him. He's, he treats God like a genie in a bottle. 
like a rabbit's foot, we're gonna pull out the ark. No heart for God. You wanna know how we're intended to respond to situations like this? Because we're, we're to obey God. We're to have hearts. Because the ultimate test of love is obedience. But when we do disobey, when we fail in those areas, to a person who really loves God and wants to obey him, you'll be grieved over your sin. You wanna see a good picture of what that looks like? Read Psalm 51. David commits a horrible sin with Bathsheba. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And then he goes on to say, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast, it's all about his heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not hide me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know what David essentially says in that psalm? You can take everything else from me, but don't take your spirit. Do you know what David was saying? I can can endure any consequence that comes my way as a result of this sin, but the one thing I can't lose is you. If we love Jesus, we'll keep his commands. And when we don't, we'll turn to him in repentance. And guess what? God won't always remove the circumstances or the consequences of our sin, but you know what he will do? He'll walk with us through those consequences. And you know what's really good about God? Sometimes he even has ways of giving us back the years the locusts have eaten. That's the God we serve. Let's love him. But let's not just tell him we love him. Let's demonstrate it by our obedience. Father, we thank you for your word today. Um, Lord, I I just pray for those that are here this morning, maybe watching online, and maybe they're at a crossroads right now, and Satan is lying to them and saying that they don't have a choice but to disobey. Maybe they think the only way to really find fulfillment. It's a lie of Satan that... that, (laughs) If you really want fulfillment, you don't really have a choice. You've got to disobey in whatever area it is. But God, I pray that they would believe your truth. I pray that they would trust in the Lord with all their heart. They would lean not upon their own understanding. In all their ways, they would acknowledge you and you would make their path straight. I pray that they would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Knowing all these other things will be added unto us. God, I pray our heart and our goal and our passion would be faithfulness, that one day we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But God, there may be some folks here, they have disobeyed. Maybe they're belly up to the table of consequence this morning. I pray that they would, they would not do what Saul did. They wouldn't turn away and harden their heart. But today, if they hear your voice, they would return, they would repent. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. I pray that they would see the depravity of their sin. I pray that they would see the glory of Jesus and they'd hunger for and thirst for his righteousness. Lord, thank you for your grace. We love you. Your kindness leads us to repentance. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.